0: Hey Trademark, thanks for joining us online this week. I missed you on Wednesday, hopefully you'll join us. We are meeting back in person every Wednesday at 7 p.m. at the church in the main sanctuary. We are socially distanced, we are wearing masks, we're doing everything that we think is best to keep us safe. But it is so important that we gather together. In fact, that is the whole point of this message that I'm about to share with you. I neglected to record it on Wednesday night, and so you're getting a little bit late this week. In the future, we'll be recording them simultaneously during the Wednesday night service, so you'll be hearing every Wednesday night's message. It'll be posted on Instagram. So if you missed last Wednesday or just wanted to listen again, you can check out this message from Romans chapter 12. Let's dive into God's Word together. give your Bibles, you can turn to Romans chapter 12, verse 9, all the way through verse 21. And we're going to read that in just a minute, but you can just open there, have a bookmark there and be be ready to read with us. If you have paper, a pen, you'll want to take some notes just to help you remember some of the key points of this message. We are looking at our core values. Over the next four weeks, we're going to discuss each value of who we are as trademark. These are just some things that we've decided are really embodiments of who we are, the reason that we gather, the reason we do all this. You may be wondering, what's all the hype about Trademark? Why are we here? Why do we exist? What are we talking about? And so what we want to do over the next four weeks is just kind of unpack what it means to be a member of Trademark, what Trademark is all about. And tonight, I just want to lay the groundwork, and I want to give you a big picture of who Trademark is, and then we're going to look at one of our core values. So if you have some notes, you can write this down. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. This is the reason that we exist. This is the reason that we meet on a weekly basis. This is the reason we come together. It's all about Jesus and everything we do and every sermon we preach and every message that we give and every small group that we're a part of, every time we gather for worship, everything we do is all about Jesus. Jesus motivates our entire lives. He motivates everything that we do here. We believe that Jesus is someone who's very significant. Jesus isn't just a good example. Or a moral teacher. He's not just a historical figure. He's not just someone we look up to. Although all those things are true. We believe that Jesus is our king. And so we do what he says. We obey his word. He is our king. He is also our God. We believe that he has the authority to tell us what to do. He has the authority to be a king because he is the son of God himself. He is also our model. We want to look like he looked we want to say what he would say. We want to be where he would be, do what he would do, et cetera. We love Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Jesus is the center of our lives. So every decision that we make, everything we do when we act, when we speak, the way we are, who we associate with, we want to resemble Jesus. It is all about Jesus. We want to go where Jesus would go, say what Jesus would say. Do what Jesus would do. Love people the way that Jesus would love people. That's who we're about as trademark. It's all about Jesus. We say this quite often, and you can write this down as well. Jesus is better than anything in this world. Jesus is better than anything in this world. This is our our mission statement, is we want the world to know. And if if I want you to take anything else away from this message, it is this. I want you to know that Jesus is better than anything in this world. This world offers many different things, many different pleasures, many different experiences. And we would say that Jesus is better than the sum total of every experience that you could have. Jesus is a better life. Life following Jesus is a better life than you will have anywhere else in the world. We, We believe that Jesus is better. Everything we do, if there's one thing we want you to take away, it's this truth. See, Jesus demands everything, but but Jesus is worth everything. Following Jesus is going to cost your life. I'm not trying to sell you a bill of goods. When I say come follow Jesus, I I don't want you to think that that your life is going to be sunshine and roses and, and candy and bubble gum. It may not be easy, but Jesus is worth the cost. Jesus is worth the price. Jesus demands a lot from us. He demands our lives. We give him our allegiance. Jesus is not just an accessory to your life that's gonna make you more appealing. Nor is he a diet pill. A a fix your life up real quick when things are getting bad. He's not a gym membership. Someone you just go to every once in a while and you get in the habit and then, ah, I don't, I don't need it, I'm, I'm feeling good, or I woke up late so I'm not going to go today. And then you fall out of the habit, you get out of shape and then it's, ah, I, I haven't been to church in a while, I guess I should probably start going to church again, then my life would be better. But we don't believe any of those things about Jesus. We instead believe that Jesus is a way of life. See, it's no mistake that the Bible's number one analogy For describing life with Jesus, for describing the relationship that the church has with Jesus, is the analogy of marriage. Just like in a marriage, when I invite someone else to become a part of my life, they now have an input on every decision that I make from now until the day I die. From the day I say I do, to the day that I don't breathe anymore, I've given ownership of my life over to someone else. They're going to have influence on what I eat. They'll have influence on where I go. They'll have an influence on what time I get up in the morning, what time I go to bed at night. They will have an influence on the color of the drapes in my kitchen. Everything I do is going to be influenced by the person I marry. And in the same way, the church is supposed to have this relationship with Jesus where everything that we do is under his purview. Every relationship that we have, every interaction that we undertake, everywhere we go, everything we listen to, everything we say, Jesus has a say in all of those things. We want Jesus to be a part of everything in our lives. Not just a section of our life, not not just a piece of our life, but every moment of every day. My life is about Jesus. My whole world exists for Jesus. That's a costly decision. That is a difficult decision. But that is the whole goal of my life. See, life with Jesus is the end game of Christianity. It's not just an accessory We're not just looking forward to some future salvation. But we live every day in the presence of God. We live every day life with Jesus. Jesus is the sum total purpose of our lives. It's all about Jesus. At Trademark, we have four core values. The the way we express these truths... The way we express life devoted to Jesus. And this is is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. This is what it means. Just like a brand has trademarks that identify it, so too, following Jesus, life with Jesus, has some trademarks that identify this person is a person that follows Jesus. And we've tried to boil it down to four of them. These are simply what mark out a Christian. A Christian should look like these things. A Christian will have authentic relationships around Jesus. A Christian will have life transformation through Jesus. A Christian will will have audacious faith in Jesus. And a Christian will be embodied by bold proclamation for Jesus. Each of these core values are, are a core part of what it means to have a life with Jesus. A life following after Jesus is going to look like These things. Over the next few weeks, we're going to unpack each of these core values. We're we're going to take a look at each of them individually, go kind of in depth. This week, I want to talk about what it means to have authentic relationships around Jesus. The text I'm going to use for this is Romans chapter 12, verse 9 through 13. We're not going to read it quite yet. I want to kind of break down what it means to have authentic relationships around Jesus. But first, I just want to commend you, trademark, because I preached this sermon last year, a from a different text with some different points and some different things that I wanted to encourage you and admonish you in. And uh, as I was reflecting on last year's message, looking at, man, what do I want to say differently? What do I want to maybe say again? I was thinking through how we've grown as a body, uh, as a group of people. And I just want to commend you. For, for working on some things, and you have accomplished some stuff over this last year, you've grown in some areas. And so, as, as hard as we like to be, we like to preach the truth, we like to preach hard, we like to really call out areas where we are struggling and need to live up to a higher standard. And just as much as I want to seek to call out uh, failure, I also want to seek to commend success. And let you know where you've done well. So I just want to encourage you. There are three areas where we have grown tremendously. We we have grown tremendously in the area of grace. We've become more gracious as a people with one another, for one another, in our interactions. We are more and more often marked by uh, ignoring mistakes and failures, not focusing on deficiencies. We, We have more grace in our lives now than we did last year. Well done. I commend you for that growth. We have grown in kindness. In our interactions with people, I stood on not this stage, a different stage, last year, and, and I, I, I I laid into you a little bit that we are not very kind people. That, that we are sometimes a little more snide than we need to be. We're more sarcastic than we need to be. We're more biting than we need to be. And over the last year, I have seen you grow tremendously in the area of kindness, in your interactions with one another, as you talk with one another. Your words have been more kind. Your attitudes have been Marked by a kindness and a tenderheartedness. And so I applaud you and I commend you for that growth. And then finally, we have grown significantly in encouragement. And I've heard it as you've talked with each other, as I've watched you in conversations, as I've watched you in interactions, you have become a more encouraging people. You are encouraging younger students in their walk with Jesus. You're encouraging one another as older students to to grow more deeply. You're challenging each other to really read God's word and, and dig in for all that it's worth. And so I just want to commend you for your growth in grace, your growth in kindness, your growth in encouragement. Before we jump into this message, I want to commend you for those areas. But let's look at authentic relationships around Jesus. Let's break that definition down. Incumbent to the term, Christians are called to have relationships. We are marked by having relationships. Christians are relational people, whether we want to be or not. Whether we feel like it or not. And some of you just want to hide away in your room all day and, and stay away from people. And although I can really understand the feeling on some days, we're called to something beyond that. We're called to get out of our comfort zones. We're called to come out of our shell. And we're called to have relationships with other people. This is your calling as a Christian regardless of how extroverted or introverted you are, you ought to have relationships. The number and the depth is not quite as important. You have some leeway. I recognize that some of our more introverted students are going to want to have just a few really deep relationships and some of our more extroverted students are just going to have a lot of relationships with a lot of people and there's maybe not a lot of depth, but we want to talk with and be friends with as many people as possible. Both of those categories are okay. As long as you are having relationships, this, this is a key part of what it looks like to be a Christian. We are a relational people. We aren't hermits. We can't go cloister ourselves off up in the mountains and live on our own. We, we can't go hide in our bedrooms or hide under a rock, but we must live among the world. We have relationships with both Christians and non-Christians. So so we are called to have so, some relationships with Christians who encourage us, who build us up in our faith, who, who call us into Greater things. This is an important part of what it looks like to follow Jesus. We have Christian relationships. And we treat those people with love, charity, dignity, kindness. We also have relationships with non-Christians. We have relationships with people who have not yet come into the family of God. And equally, with the same kindness, with the same dignity, with the same love, with the same grace, we treat both categories the same way. We don't put our Christian friends on a pedestal and expect them to somehow be these superhuman people because they follow Christ. In the same way, we don't put our non-Christian friends on a pedestal and, and in some way think that they're somehow better or cooler or, or more important than Christians. But both categories, we need relationships with both people. We need to understand that both people are hurting and, and will make mistakes, but we have relationships with both. We engage with both. We have relationships, and these relationships are authentic Relationships. This means we're not hiding parts of ourselves from other people. There's nothing in my life that's hidden from you. There's nothing in your life that's hidden from me. This is part of a Christian relationship. And this is very different than how the world wants to have relationships. In the world, relationships look like I show you just as much as I'm not afraid to show you. Christian relationships say, I'm going to step outside of my comfort zone. I'm a little worried to tell you this about myself but I'm going to tell you anyways because I'm an authentic person. I'm real about the person that I am. We are honest about who we are. And this is easy for us because we believe that everyone is a mess. My life's a mess. Your life is a mess. But we understand that everyone is a mess. There's no one cleaner than anyone else. There's no one better than anyone else. And so we live in full openness, recognizing that, hey, the only difference between me and you is I'm not hiding my garbage. You are. We are real about our lives, and we recognize that real is messy, and we embrace that. We embrace messy people. We embrace messiness. We're okay with messy. If I was being real Pentecostal, I'd say, Jesus will take your mess, and he'll turn it into a message. Jesus loves messy people. The messiest people in the Bible are often some of the greatest and, and, and biggest heroes of faith. We say this often and and I just think it's such a great embodiment of what it means to have an authentic relationship with someone else. It's okay not to be okay. It is okay to not be okay. We want this to be a place where it is okay not to be okay. It's okay to be real about your brokenness. It's okay to be real about your mental issues. It's okay to be real about your sexuality. It's okay to be real about who you are as a person. You can live in full view of everyone and we are going to love you. We're going to embrace you. We're going to weep with you. We're going to mourn with you. We're going to fight with you and and fight for you. It's okay to not be okay. But it's not okay to stay that way. We love messy people. We love broken people. But part of the call of the gospel is broken people made whole. We are broken, but we are whole. Restored by the gospel restored by the message of Jesus. And so it is okay to come to Trademark and not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. We're going to expect that a life following Jesus as you are exposed to the presence of God, as the Spirit works in your life and in your heart, He's going to be able to clean up some of that mess. He's going to be able to put together some of those broken pieces and you're going to be remade and reforged and healed through the presence of God. So we believe in relationships. We believe they need to be authentic and then... They are Jesus-centered relationships. They are centered around Jesus. And this is the true mark of a Christian relationship, quite obviously, is that Jesus is the center, Jesus is the purpose, Jesus is the point of my relationship with you, your relationship with me, everyone's relationships in this group are centered around Jesus. Here's what this means, is that there's a purpose behind our relationships. We are trying to leverage them for something else. Our relationships are not just meant for us to have fun together and for us to be good friends. Although those things are true. Those things are good. There's a greater purpose to our relationships, and that is that we want to grow as a people closer to Jesus. We we want to know Jesus more. We want Jesus to become more and more a part of our lives. So so behind every relationship with, with anyone, you are leveraging that person in order to get closer to Jesus, in order to bring them closer to Jesus. So I'm, I'm not telling you necessarily just to use people. I'm not telling you necessarily just to take advantage of people. But there's a reason that we are called to have relationships, and it is this: every interaction, every moment, I'm growing closer to Jesus. And so my relationship with you isn't really for me, isn't really for you. It's actually for Jesus. It's so we can both grow closer to Him. It's so we can know Him better. Here's what this looks like in Mark chapter two, verse thirteen through seventeen. Jesus models the purpose for relationships with non-Christians. So there's kind of two categories of relationships we have. And we'll look really quickly at non-Christian relationships and what a Jesus-centered, authentic relationship looks like with someone who doesn't follow Christ. In Mark chapter 2, verse 13 through 17, the gospel says this, He went out again, he being Jesus, beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him. And he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. But sinners. Jesus models the purpose for relationships with sinners. And the first thing I want to point out is that Jesus has relationships with sinners. So often that he is accused of being just like them. Jesus is accused of being a drunkard and a thief and a glutton because he spends so much time with drunkards and thieves and gluttons. He spends time with sinners. In this day and age, a tax collector would have been the worst of the worst type of sinner. So where you picture is the worst sinner in the world, who there could be no one worse than them, picture that person, and Jesus is hanging out with them, talking to them. And, and I have news for you, as a person called to look like Jesus, you are called to go to the worst of the worst, the most sinful of the most sinful, and you're, you're called to engage with that person. To be a part of that person's life. To make that person a part of your life. This is part of what it looks like to follow Jesus. We have relationships with Sinners. But there is a purpose behind that relationship. And Jesus understands that he is not just hanging out with the sinners in order to have fun, in order to be cool, in order to get to drink a little bit without anyone else knowing or noticing. But he is in that relationship because he wants that sinner to follow him. He he hangs up these tax collectors and by the end, one of them, Levi, becomes a follower of Jesus and will, 40 years later, write what is, in my opinion, the greatest of the four Gospels. The Gospel of Matthew is written by this former tax collector, sinner, living in sin and debauchery. Jesus comes into his life and everything changes. He becomes a new person. And he becomes a sold-out follower of Jesus Christ. And that is the purpose for my relationship with the sinner. Is that they will follow me and begin to look more like Jesus and have a sold out life. All in with Jesus. That's the purpose. So you don't have to be the preachy friend. You don't have to be the killjoy. But you do have to be aware of the purpose of the relationship. In your relationships with non-Christian friends. How are you living? What are you doing? Are you... Engaging in non-Christian relationships with the purpose of making your friends more like Christ? Or are you engaging in non-Christian relationships and in the end becoming more like them? A a helpful question to ask when trying to determine, is this a healthy non-Christian relationship or an unhealthy one? Who is leading whom? Who is leading whom? Are you leading those friends closer to Jesus are you finding opportunities to invite them to trademark? Are you finding opportunities to share the truth about the, the kingship and the kingdom of Jesus with them? Are you finding opportunities to share the good news of your faith with them? Or are you beginning to compromise on your personal principles? Are, are you beginning to abandon core Christian teaching that you've known for your whole life and beginning to follow after them with all your heart? Are they looking more like you or are you looking more like them? See, some of you are being led by people who aren't even following Jesus. And then you get shocked when it turns out that you're not following Jesus either. But where do you think they were leading you? Look at their life and look where it's headed. Now look at your life and look where you're headed. Are those the same place? Do you really want... You, you, you know where your non-Christian drug addict friends are headed. Statistically... Their life is going to end with more drugs, more severe drugs, bigger problems, statistically. Do you want your life to look like that? Okay, then keep following them. But if you don't, you need to begin to put yourself into the driver's seat in that relationship and say, Hey, I'm here to lead you, not the other way around. And if you can't lead them, you need to get out because there are other relationships for you to be a part of. But but it is crucial that you recognize whether or not you are leading or being led. Because in every relationship that you have with a non-Christian person, the purpose is that you are leading them closer to Christ. So if you're being led away from Christ, that's not a healthy relationship. You need to rethink it. You need to get some support. You need to get some help. And ultimately, you probably need to get out. So those are non-Christian relationships. Always the purpose is, I want to lead you and make you more like Jesus. And when that's not happening, I need to reevaluate why I'm in this relationship in the first place. Christian relationships are very different. You can write this down. We are a family. We are a family. The church is the family of families. We each have our own family, but when we come together, we become something new. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 says this. You are being built together into a spiritual house. I love this Verse, because it talks about us as a people and says that when we come to trademark, when we come to church, God is doing a work in our hearts. God is doing a work in us and we are being built together into something new. That we are being called out of our cultures. We're being called out of our families. We're being called out of the places that we've come from. And we're being called to become a new people in a new place. We are being built together into a spiritual house. The Greek word for that word house is the word oikos. And that is the word that means household or family So when you gather, when we gather on a Wednesday night, what's happening is as we are together, listening to the Word, worshiping, playing games, hanging out, God is turning us into a family. He's building us together, knitting us into this this new group of people. We are a family when we come together. A key salvation phrase is the phrase adoption. It's one of Paul's favorite words to talk about what Jesus did for you. He adopted you. You are a son, you are a daughter of God. We're a family of families. So the church is not a 501c3, it's not a corporation, it's not a business, but we are a family first and foremost. We're a family. We're we're not just an event on the calendar. We're we're a family. And so when we think about families, we look at the nuclear family, and the nuclear family is the model of how the church ought to look and feel. The same way that you have relationships with parents and brothers and sisters. That's how it should be when we come together. That we are a family that is together. The great theologian Lilo from Lilo and Stitch said, Ohana means family. And family means no one gets left behind or forgotten. See, every single one of you is incredibly important. Every person who's a part of Trademark matters. And when you're not here, we feel it. We need all of you. There is a place for you here. And some of you need to hear this. Trademark is a place that you belong. It's a place where you have a place. You can be a part of us. Wherever you come from, whatever you believe, whatever background you have, we don't really care about all that because we love you and we want you to be a part of us. We want you to join in to the kingdom of God. We want you to become a part of this mission, this work that God is doing, expanding his kingdom. Loving others, loving him. That's what we're about. We we want you to be a part of us. There is a place for you. This is a place where no one's left out. No one is forgotten. No one is abandoned. But everyone belongs. Everyone is a part of us. You belong with trademark. And if you are feeling abandoned, if you are feeling forgotten, if you are feeling left out, you need to talk to someone. You need to let someone know because we are failing you. We are called to be a family. We are called to be a place where everyone matters and everyone comes together. And if that's not true, we are failing you. And I'm going to stake us to this. Because if we can't be a place, trademark, if we can't be a place where people have a place, if we can't be a place where people matter, if we can't be a place where people belong, where people feel safe, where people feel valuable and included, where else should we expect them to go? Where else should we expect them to find purpose if not within the household of faith? If not within the church? If not within the family of God? Where else, trademark, would you expect your friends to go? So it's on us to make this a place where everyone belongs, where people are included. The love of Jesus ought to compel us to make this a family that everyone belongs in. See, we need each other. We need each other. Without you, I'm missing something. Without me, you're missing something. This is why we reopened. Not because we think that we're in some ways smarter than doctors and scientists. Not because we don't like the government. Not because we don't care about COVID. Not because we don't like old people for none of the political reasons that you may hear. But rather, we believe that we need authentic relationships. We need to be together together. A family that never meets together is a dysfunctional family. Uh, And that's not who we are called to be. We're called to be a functional family. We're called to be a family that gathers together regularly, that has authentic relationships with one another. It's one of the key things that define life following Jesus. Authentic relationships are a crucial part of what it means to be a Christian. We can't be a family if we're never together. That's a dysfunctional family. I know that you know how easy it is to be fake over a screen. To be fake when you're not in person. How easy it is to fake authenticity. I've seen your back-to-school COVID version outfits. Uh, You're all dressed, your hair's done, makeup's looking good, you got just the right shirt. And then waist down, you're a mess. Some of you guys are wearing boxer shorts to class. It's got to stop. Come on let's raise the standard of dress a little bit here, but you know how hard it is. You know how easy it is to be fake behind a screen because no one sees what you're really wearing. No one sees what you really like. You can fake it. You can fake it. You can fake it watching trademark from Instagram And never coming and joining us in person. And you can say, yeah, my life's going great. It's been good following Jesus. It's easy to post the picture of your Bible in the morning with the caption. God is so good. My morning in Psalm 23. We've seen that you've been in Psalm 23 for the last three months. Every time you've posted that picture. You're not fooling anyone. It's easy to be fake from a screen. But we need to be in person because we're called to be authentic. We're called to not be fake. So now let's turn to Romans chapter 12 verse 9 through 20, and let's read together. This is how a family lives. This is what it looks like to be a family. Romans chapter 12, verse 9 says this, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. In my Bible, there's a heading here that says marks of a true Christian. And I think that is so true. This is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. This is a trademark, if you will, of what it looks like to follow Jesus. And all of this is just a summary of authentic relationships around Jesus. Genuine love for one another. A lack of judgment. A willingness even for enemies to lay down our lives. These are authentic relationships. These are Jesus-centered relationships. This is the Sparknotes version of the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' teaching on relationships. What I'd like to do is I'd like to just take a 30,000-foot view of this text and say, if we're going to do this, if we're going to do all this, this is is a lot that we're called to do. And we're expected to do it. And if we're going to do all of this, here are some traits that we need to cultivate as a family in order to do this better. Four traits. We are... United. You can write this down. We are united. We live together in harmony. We have genuine love for one another. We love one another with brotherly affection, Paul says. We are united around a common purpose. We are united around Jesus. We're united around one another. One of the ways that we do this is we outdo one another in showing honor. That's what Paul says. For you competitive people, this is a chance for us to just step up. This is the the one time in Scripture that competition is commanded. I know we have some competitive people, and I want to invite you into this competition. This is a competition that I can get on board with. Let's compete for how much honor can I give someone else? How much honor can I give someone who maybe really doesn't even deserve it, but how much honor can I give everyone in trademark? Let's outdo one another. Let's be competitive. Let's have awards. Let's go after this. Let's outdo one another in showing honor. Let's compete. We live in harmony with one another. What this means is that we are a gossip-free zone. This is a place where, where, where gossip does not thrive. Gossip does not exist. Gossip kills the church faster than anything else kills us. But, but we speak kindly to one another. When, when we have an issue with someone, we, we say it to their face in private. We're a gossip-free zone. We encourage people instead of making fun of them. As fun as it is to kind of poke fun and have fun with people, we want to be people marked by encouragement. Because that's who we are as followers of Jesus. We are encouraging people. We avoid meanness. Our culture so often just wants us to be mean to people. It's become a new form of humor to see how mean can I be. And that's really funny. But we want to avoid that. We are a different people. We are set apart. We're something different. Be slow to mock and make fun of one another. Again, these are things that are easy to do. They're fun to do, but we're called to abstain for the sake of showing that we are different from the rest of the world. We are different people. We have real deep relationships. We are in harmony with one another. We have each other's backs on Sundays. We have each other's backs. At school, we have each other's backs. When Zoom class ends and you're back in person, you're in the halls and and hearing things said, you get your brother and sister's back. If someone messes with your brother, you get their back. If someone's talking bad about your sister, you get their back. We are brothers and sisters in this room. And we have each other's backs as family members. We shut down gossip. We shut down drama. Paul says, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with one another. This is how we do that. We are united around one another, pursuing Jesus. You can write this down. We are accountable. We are accountable. Accountability means we expect more out of each other. We expect more out of each other. We need each other for this whole list to happen. I can't do this without you. You can't do this without me. I am accountable to you. I expect you and you expect me to actually do these things. These aren't just fun theories. These aren't just, wouldn't it be nice if we all did this? But no, we are actually expected to live this way. Uh, That's what Paul means when he writes this. He actually expects for us to do these things. And so let's do them, and let's hold each other accountable for it. You know how I ought to live. I know how you ought to live. And I'm going to call you out and say, hey, you are not living up to the standard that you could be living at. And you're going to call me out and say, hey, you are not living up to the standard that you could be living at. And we are accountable to each other. We're calling that out. We hold each other to the standard of Jesus. I am going to fail, and I am for the most part blind to my failures. I won't see them happen. And I need you to tell me when those failures happen so I can see them and fix them. You are going to fail, and you need me to tell you when you failed so you can fix them. Very rarely is a Christian intentionally living outside of the standard of God. It almost always happens out of ignorance, and so we need to help each other see when we're failing, we expect success from our fellow believers, not failure. We're not shocked by obedience, but, but instead we, we assume, of course, you would obey, of course. And then we're shocked by failure. We are vulnerable. We are vulnerable. Part of an authentic relationship is a vulnerability and honesty and an authenticity about who I am as a person i'm not hiding myself you're not hiding yourself one of the ways we do this is through the 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 act of confession confession is a critical part of what it means to follow jesus confession is authentic speech. it's it's bearing my soul before you and saying hey here is everything that's going on inside of me in my heart in my head i'm a mess here's how i'm a mess here's what that looks like can you help me walk through these things can you help me pursue jesus in these things can you help me live better in these areas. This is where I'm screwing up. This is where I'm messing up and and I'm honest and I'm authentic and I'm opening up to you so that you can help me. You're doing the same thing for me. We're honest with one another. Part of authentic relationships is just being open and honest about who I really am. There's no part of me that's hidden from you. I'm not living one way at trademark and then a different way at school. I'm not living one way on Sunday and then another day during my job. But I am authentic. I'm real about who I am as a person. There's there's no double face. John Calvin says, the tongue exists to reveal our hearts, both sin and truth. So the way that we do this is we talk about it. We, We let people know when we've messed up. To be truly known is to be truly loved. Oftentimes, we don't reveal true parts of our heart. And so when someone tells us that they love us, there's always like a, well, do you really? Do do you really? Because you don't know what's going on in here. You don't know who I am. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've done. And if you really knew, if you really knew what I did last night, I'm not sure you'd like me at all. And, And so we never walk around feeling loved. We never walk around feeling like someone really knows us. Because there's always this wall, there's always this facade, there's always this level of fakeness of, ah, but you don't know this. But what if we took that wall down? What if we said, no, here's me as a person, false and all, this is who I am. It's dangerous. It's scary. But then when someone says, man, I see all of that and I love you, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt it's real. Because there's nothing hidden. There's nothing left to find out. There's no other shoe waiting to drop. This is true nowhere more than your relationship with Jesus. Because Jesus does truly know you. He has truly seen all of your faults. And he does truly love you faults at all. So you can be truly known and truly loved with Christ. Let's be truly known and truly loved with one another. We'll mourn sin with you. We will love you. We'll also help you grow. It's okay to not be okay. It's not okay to stay that way. Last thing you can write down, we are gracious. We are gracious. When someone confesses something heavy, because there's some heavy stuff, we meet that with grace, not condemnation. We don't meet that with judgment. We don't meet that with hatred. We don't meet that with insult. But we meet that say, man, I'm sorry that that happened to you. I'm sorry that you're going through that. I'm sorry you're involved in that. I'm sorry you're struggling with that. Let me weep with you for a minute. Let me cry with you for a minute. Let me mourn with you for a minute. And then let me help you get through that. Let me help you grow past that. When we fail, we don't just hold it over one another because I'm going to fail in these things. And if you're just holding it over, I'm never going to confess to you because you'll never let it go. And if I hold all your failures over your head, you'll never bring anything up because I'll never let it go. So we don't hold that over each other. We recognize that we're trying, that, that we are improving, and we set each other up for success, not failure. Don't be eager to point out faults in other people. But instead, just love. Love covers a multitude of sins, John says. God is forgiven, and so will I, in public and in private, to their face or behind their back. We don't enjoy, we don't rejoice in pointing out faults. Yes, we are called to live to a higher standard. Yes, we're accountable to one another. Yes, we call those things up. We don't rejoice in that. We, we we mourn it it is heavy it is hard we don't love it when you fail own it this is just part of grace when you fail own your failure own your mistakes and then move on just own it live in it live in it this is grace this is what families do none of us will be perfect in these things all of us will fail all of us will make mistakes But we're going to keep trying. We're going to keep cultivating these attitudes. Unity, accountability, vulnerability, graciousness. We're going to cultivate these attitudes. We're going to cultivate these ways of thinking, ways of living. And we're going to grow in them. This is what it means to belong to Jesus. This is the gospel. Christ died to purchase a people for himself. He set them in a family where all are equal. He put us together in a family, and as a family, we strive for authentic, loving relationships based around Him. By God's grace, may we grow in this. Let me pray for you as we close. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for our time together in it. Pray that you would grow us in these things, grow us in our relationships with one another. Would you grow us close to each other? Would you cause us to love each other in deeper and more real ways each day? Lord, I pray that you'd make us more like a family. Grow us together. Grow us into one another. Would you unite us? Would you give us a sense of accountability? Would you make us vulnerable and open with one another? And would you give us grace for our failures? We ask you to do all these things through your power. It's for your beautiful name and your glorious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Jesus, you are better than anything in this world i love you trademark be blessed can't wait to see you this wednesday 7 p.m be there